Amen. Let's take our Bibles out, turn to the book of Zechariah, chapter number 4. And uh, if you need help finding that, I, I recommend you turn to page number 1. There's an index in your Bible, and uh, it'll give you the page number there. Zechariah, chapter number 4. Uh, be in prayer for Pastor and, of course, the group that's over there. A lot of, um, a lot of the church is on that trip. And uh, like uh, Brother Collingsworth said, uh, we've been seeing some of the pictures, and uh, it's a beautiful place over there. I'd love to be over there. And unfortunately, um, I'm stateside. And so I tried, to, uh, I tried to feel like I was over there. I had some Mediterranean food uh, for supper last night. I had it again for lunch this, this uh, afternoon. And uh, that's, that's about as close as I can get to Israel right now. And, uh, but uh, I hope to be a help to you here this evening out of the book of Zechariah, chapter number 4. And God put this thought on my, on my mind a couple months ago. And it was something that I was reminded of. Uh, in the past couple of days, and so I know it's been a help to me, and I hope it'll be a help to you. Zechariah chapter number 4, we're going to begin reading with verse number 8. We'll read down through verse number 10. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse number 8, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Uh, the temple of Solomon has been destroyed at this point. Uh, it's in ruin and of course God's people have been freed from captivity. And they find themselves back trying to rebuild the temple. And, of course, we find here that they, it's not going quite as well as uh, God's people had hoped for. God comes to his man, Zechariah, and tells him to tell the people that the temple will be rebuilt. And uh, he says uh, unto them, and I want to focus on verse number 10, For who hath despised the day of small things? Who hath despised the day of small things? For a couple minutes this evening, I want to preach on this truth. The glory of all things is made up by the grind of small things. The glory of all things is made up by the grind of small things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to come to church. And Lord, I pray that it'll be a help and a blessing out of your word uh, to each and every one of us here this evening. Uh, Lord, there's a great truth that we can find here if we'll apply it to our lives. Uh, I believe, Lord, this is the, one of the greatest truths, one of the secrets to success in the Christian life. And Lord, I pray that you just help us here this evening. Give me your powers, I preach. I pray that I'll be a blessing. Be with Pastor. Be with the group as they're away. Bring them back safely. In Jesus' name, amen. The glory of all things is made up by the grind of small things. We find in the books of Haggai and Zechariah that God's people were tasked with the massive undertaking of rebuilding the temple. It was a great and glorious undertaking. However, though the overall task of rebuilding the temple was a great and glorious undertaking. God's people were guilty of despising the daily work that was seemingly little and lackluster. The temple as a whole, if you can picture this, once it would be completed, would be significant. But the temple broken down into daily tasks was seemingly insignificant. You see, long before the magnificent temple of the Lord could be rebuilt, and arrayed in all its glory, a lot of small things had to take place. I, I, I think about this. The blueprints had to be drawn. The workforce had to be assembled. Tools had to be fashioned. 
The foundation had to be laid. Trees had to be cut. Stones had to be hewn. Nails had to be forged. Precious metals and stones had to be gathered. Shrubbery had to be planted. The veil had to be woven. Personal sacrifice had to be offered. And last but not least, personal service had to be made available. And you say, Brother French, what are you getting at? Uh, What I'm saying is long before there can be a day of a big thing, there have to be days of small things. We cannot get to the point where we despise the day of small things. The glory of all things is made up by the grind of small things. In the midst of the great and glorious undertaking that we read of, uh, of them rebuilding the temple, we find that not every person was of one mind and in one accord. The foundation of the temple had been quickly laid. But then there were delays and setbacks. Does that sound, sound familiar? Uh, we get started on a project and then delay after delay. Uh, nothing new under the sun, let me remind you there. Uh, through different events, we find the rebuilding suddenly ceased and stopped for 16 years. God, through his man Zechariah, had tasked Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. And even though it seemed unlikely... And even impossible through human eyes, the temple was going to get finished by Zerubbabel at the word of God. Notice in verse number uh, 6 what the Bible says of Zechariah chapter 4. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. There were those who despised this process of rebuilding the temple. There were those that... Uh, despise that day of small things, that day of rebuilding this temple. And we find here that as we look in Scripture, these were not the ungodly pagans of the land that despised it, although there were those kind of people. It was not, uh, you know, some, some heathen nation uh, that was out there trying to stop them, though there were uh, heathen nations trying to stop them. No, the people described in this passage were God's people. I want you to turn back one chapter to Haggai. It should be one page back for you. Haggai chapter number one. And as you turn there, make no mistake, friend, when God's people despise God's work, they have lost focus and they have forgotten whose work they are doing. It's not your work. It's not my work. It's God's work. And if we ever get to the place where we despise the work of the Lord, you say, Brother French, I could never get to that place. I could never get to the place where I despise God's work. Hey, Greater people than us have. God's people did. We find here that there were those who were careless and complacent. Look at verses 1 through 4 of Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? We notice here that these people were careless and complacent. I mean, these people emphasized selfishness over sacrifice and service. You say, Brother French, what was, what was their problem? Well, I, I don't know. The Bible says that they were more concerned about their own house than the house of the Lord. And friend, to make, be, make no mistake about it. I'm not saying it's wrong to focus on the things that God's blessed you, but how sad that we can 
put all our time and effort into our own things and our own homes and our own possessions and our own things, and we can't do nothing for the house of the Lord, and God's house lies in waste, and yet we're content to focus on ours and say, oh, it's no big deal. God says, hey, is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie in waste? You know, sometimes I think that uh, these people were just blinded, but they weren't. Uh, They weren't ignorant. They were careless and complacent. But that's not the only crowd there was. There were those who were critical and complained. Look at the next chapter, chapter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? You think about this. There were some people... God's questioning them, said, how many of you saw the, this house in its former glory? And I remind you here today, Solomon's house was glorious. That temple Solomon built was, was magnificent. But there were those that even God points out and says, you're going to sit here and complain and be critical about the state of God's house. And you say, oh, I, I long for the old days. I long for when the temple was this. I long for that. And they just sat back and they complained and they criticized and they refused to look at the state of God's current house and say, you know what? We can't go back to the old days. We can't go back to when it was that state. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can rebuild and we can get it back to where it should be. There were people who were critical and complained. They emphasized the past over the present and the future. Now, I'm all for the past. I enjoy the past. I like reading about history. I like reading about the great works that have been done in the past. That challenged me. That challenges you. But we should never get to the point where we long so much for the past that we cannot focus on the future and on the present that God's given us. And so these people were critical, and they complained. I read this statement the other day. Those who are busy rowing the boat don't have time to rock the boat. Those who are busy rowing the boat don't have time to rock the boat. You know, we got to ask ourselves the question, before we complain about the state of things that we see going on, before we complain about the state uh, of, of God's work, before we complain about all these different things, what are we willing to do about it? What are we putting into it? Now, I want to be a help to us all here this evening. I believe that this truth can be applied to every area of life and in every aspect of life. It's easy, friend, think about this, it's easy to get amped up over dreams, goals, and visions. It is easy to get excited over the thought of finished products and projects. That's the easy part. Pastor comes to us and he has a vision. God put something on his heart, and you know what? It's easy to get excited about that. It's easy to think about the finished product and say, man, I'm amped up. I'm ready to hit the road running. I'm ready to get this done and over with. And I promise you, we're all there. That's easy. But dreams, goals, and visions will never, I said never, come to fruition without the day of small things. Finished products and projects will never come to fruition without the day of small things. It's not going to happen. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen if we despise the day of small things. It's the law of sowing and reaping. 
You get what you sow. If we despise the day of small things, we will never get to the day of big things. I was teaching my kids, we have in devotion a couple nights ago, and I was teaching them this truth uh, that evening, and uh, you know, I know what they're both interested in, and I know what they're excited about, and I, I, you know, I've read these verses to them, and I said, hey, James, it's pretty exciting, it would be pretty exciting to be a basketball player, wouldn't it? He's like, oh, yeah, he's like, he's always, he's stoked about basketball, he loves it, and uh, I said, James, it'd be nice to go into that game and score some points, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, it'd be nice to be the MVP of the basketball team, wouldn't it, James? Oh, yeah. I said, you think you're ever going to get that if you don't get out and practice dribbling? You think you're ever going to step foot on that court if you don't ever get out and shoot the basketball? You think you're ever going to be an MVP of a team if you don't get out there and work hard and stay at it? Hey, it's the, the day of small things, friend. You got to stay at it. I looked at my daughter. She's playing piano right now. I said, hey, Kate, you think it'd be nice to play piano in the church one day? Oh, that'd be awesome. Think it'd be fun to uh, play piano for special music? Oh, that'd be great. Uh, you think it'd be fun to uh, play a really pretty piece uh, at the music recital one day? Oh, she was excited about that. I said, it'll never get there. You'll never arrive to that point if you don't learn to practice and you don't stay at it. And you don't uh, stay at it and focus at it. And, 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 and even when you're tired and even when you get weary and even when you make mistakes and it seems like everything you try to do, it just doesn't work out. You don't see God wants it to be if you could grasp this truth. Your prayer life could be what it ought to be and what God wants it to be if you could grasp this truth. Hey, think about this. Your marriage could be what it ought to be and what God wants it to be if you would grasp this truth. The list goes on and on. Your children could turn out to be what they ought to be and what God wants them to be if you could grasp this truth. The area that you serve in in ministry, no matter where it is, the bus route, the nursing homes, the nursery, the, the choir, the orchestra, it could be what it ought to be and what God wants it to be if you would grasp this truth. Our church, we think about all the projects that are going on, everything that's taking place. It could happen and it could turn out and be what it ought to be and what God wants it to be if we can grasp this truth. Brother French, what truth are you talking about? The glory of all things is made up by the grind of small things. Long before there can be a day of big things, there have to be days of small things. And so, friend, don't despise the day of small things. Now, I've got five statements here this evening, five statements that I believe will help you and I here tonight with this, with this truth. Five statements that I believe will help us here tonight regarding this truth. Statement number one. That which God has entrusted to you is important. Amen. That which God has entrusted to you is important. The Bible says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. I want you to think about this. God owns everything, right? We understand that. God owns everything in this world. There's not nothing in this world. There's not nothing you have. There's nothing I have. There's nothing anybody has in this world that is not God's. It's all God's. And God has decided to give us some of what he has. God's given us life. You know, we're of the very dirt that God owns of this earth. We're made of the very dust that God owns of this earth. And sometimes humans get a little big for their britches, and they think that they're greater than God when they're made up of the very dirt that God owns on this earth. God's given us everything we have. He gives us life. 
He gives us our jobs. He gives us our home. He gives us our Bible. He gives us our family. He gives us our possessions. He gives us everything that we have. Nothing is unimportant to God. Everything that God gives to man is important. Now, friend, let me think about this. If everything that God gives to man is important, then why are you viewing that which God has entrusted to you as unimportant? Why are you treating that which God has entrusted to you as unimportant? You see, the life that God has given you is important. The Bible that God has given you is important. That home that God has entrusted to you is important. That marriage that God has entrusted to you is important. The area of ministry that God has entrusted to you is important. Those children, though sometimes they get frustrating, and I understand that, they are important. It's about time that we looked at what God has given to us and viewed it as important instead of looking at everything else that people have, everything else that this world has, and said, I wish I had that. That's more important. No, what God has given you is important. You see, statement number one, that which God has entrusted to you is important. Statement number two, if that which God has entrusted to you is important, and it is, then it deserves your attention and dedication. If that which God has entrusted to you is important, and it is, then it deserves your attention and dedication. Hey, I'm telling you some truths here that will make the dreams, it will make the visions, it will make the goals of our church, of your home, of your family, of our nation, it will make them a reality these truths I'm giving you will help us. If, God, if that which God has entrusted to you is important, and it is, then it deserves your attention and dedication. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no knowledge, uh, nor wisdom, nor uh, in the grave whither thou goest. You see, the God, God's saying whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. Now, let's be honest here. That doesn't mean, you know, the trouble I find myself getting in. You know, do it with all my might. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to go out a-blazing. No, God is saying if he's given you something to do for him, and it's important, which it is, that means we ought to do it with all of our attention and with all of our dedication. I don't care if it's uh, the service that he gives you here in this church. I don't care if it's that marriage that God has given you. I don't care if it's those children God has given you. It deserves your attention. It deserves your dedication. It deserves your focus. You want to know why people don't devote their attention and dedication to that which God has entrusted to them? Because they've devoted their attention and dedication to that which is unimportant. We all find ourselves from time to time doing this. I mean, think about that. Sometimes we neglect the things we shouldn't because we're focused on things that don't matter. Sometimes it takes a form of this. We're busy cutting up scrolling and checking emails and doing this, and the family's burning down. The kids are going crazy. Uh, wife is having a nervous breakdown. Uh, things are just falling apart, and we're over here doing this and doing that when we should be focusing on what God has given us. Why, sometimes, you know, sometimes churches, they start having issues, and they start having problems, and you want to know why what happens? A lot of times it's because the people in the church that make up the church, you know what, they start focusing on things that are not important, and they wonder why the attendance dwindles, and they wonder why the ministries close up. 
And they wonder why the church is just not what it used to be. And they wonder why all these things. It's because they have not given their attention and dedication to that which is important. Friend, we have to get out of our minds that uh, anything that God's given us is not important. You know, you've heard it said, I've heard it said my whole life, duties never conflict. We get busy. We have to get to the point in our life where we understand life is busy. This, um, this, this modern day American life that we have, that this world is pushing where we just, you know, work for three hours and then, hey, we get to have pleasure for the rest of it. That, you know, the, what I call the COVID lifestyle, uh, the COVID dream, so to speak, uh, that's not reality. But people think that's reality. And then they wonder why nothing's working out. They wonder why they have these dreams, these visions, they have these goals in life. Of, of, of great undertakings, of glorious things, but they wonder why they don't come to fruition. Because it's going to take more than a simple thought about it. It's going to take more than a simple one-hour attempt at it. It's going to take more than a, a one-day effort at it. It's going to take day in and day out, doing the small things over and over and over again because you realize that it's important and it, it deserves your attention and you're not willing to lose what God has given you. You're going to be a good steward and you say, I'm going to focus on what God has given me. Hey, if God's given it to you, it's important and it deserves your attention and dedication. I said, number one, that which God has entrusted to you is important. Statement two, if that which God has entrusted to you is important, and it is, then it deserves your attention and dedication. Statement number three, your tendency is to be interested and focused on the goal. Your tendency, my tendency, our tendency as human beings is to be interested and focused on the goal. Um, your tendency is to be enamored with the goal. Your tendency is to be enamored with the finished product. The human mind is captivated by that which is outwardly great and glorious. We like the day of a big thing, don't we? We like the day of a great and magnificent project being completed, don't we? And to a certain extent, friend, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. Being interested and focused on the goal, the finished product, the outwardly great and glorious, the day of a big thing, it gives us something to strive for. It plants a desire in our heart. I'll tell you what, uh, you know, I, I love hearing about the great things that God is doing with other places. You know what it does? It, it, it burns a little fire inside of me and I say, hey, God can do that here. Uh, you know, and sometimes you see different things going on and you're like, hey, God can do that here. If he's doing it there, he can do it here. He's not a respecter of persons. It's not a bad thing to be focused sometimes on the goal. That's what we do as human beings. But hear me out on this. Just because you have a desire for something doesn't mean that you will get it. Uh, don't get me wrong, desire is important. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 that hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But when desire cometh, it is a tree of life. We all got to have desire. Because you know what? Desire is that flame that pushes us forward. Uh, desire is that thing that helps us try to accomplish something. Desire is like a burning fire. And as you know, a fire doesn't burn forever. It's got to have something that keeps it going. Uh, it has to have a source of fuel to keep it burning or else it goes out. But desire in and of itself is a dream. It's a hope. It's a wish. It's a, it's a plan. 
And that leads me to statement number four. We said number, statement number three, your tendency is to be interested and focused on the goal. Statement number four, God is interested and focused on the details. God is interested and focused on the details. See, God's a God of detail. Uh, he's interested in the day of small things. The Bible says when he created the world, he made the stars also. When God, would, and you heard the truth from Pastor the other week, when God told Noah to build the boat, he didn't just leave it up to interpretation. He said, do this and this and this and this and this. He was a very detail-oriented God. When God gave the command for the tabernacle, when God gave the command for the Ark of the Covenant, he was a very detail-oriented God. When God recorded all the family genealogies through the books of Leviticus in Numbers and Deuteronomy, we find one thing is true. God is a God of detail. God is a God of the details. He's interested in the day of small things. You see, the desire is there. I believe when you got saved, when I got saved, God put a desire in your heart and my heart uh, to want great things for God. Before I got saved, I could have cared less about having to walk with God. I could have cared less about being in church. In fact, I liked, I liked it uh, not going to church. That was my flesh. But you know what? The day I got saved, God put a desire in my heart and said, hey, I want a walk with God. I want to serve God. I couldn't wait to be at church. I was 14 years old, and I had grown. Uh, and again, I was in a good church. I was in a good home. My parents were great parents. I'm not saying none of that. And what I'm saying is, before I got saved, I could have cared less about that. But I got saved, and God put a desire in my heart. I wanted to have a life pleasing to God. I wanted to be in church. I wanted to do something for God. As a 14-year-old boy, what am I getting at? Desire alone doesn't accomplish that. I desired those things, but just because I desired it didn't mean I was going to become it. I, if I wanted to walk with God, I said, you know what? I got to actually pick up my Bible and read it. I actually got to go into the prayer closet and pray. Uh, I actually got to make an effort to get to church. I actually got to go soul winning. I, gotta, I have to do all these things. If I want to do something for the Lord, I actually have to do something about it. God implanted in your heart a desire to have a godly life for him. God implanted a desire in your heart to have a godly home for him. God implanted in your heart to have a godly marriage for him. God implanted in your heart a desire to train godly children for him. And the list goes on and on, but friend, let me remind you here today, it won't just happen just because you have a desire. God is interested and focused on the details. You say, Brother French, what is the source of fuel that will keep that desire burning in my heart to do something great for God with not just my life, but through my church and, and helping reach people with the gospel? What will keep that desire burning the day of small things? Realizing that, you know what? We can hope that all these projects get completed. We can hope that great things happen through our church. But if no one gets to the point where they say, hey, in order to get there, we're going to have to on Sunday do this, on Monday do this, on Tuesday do this, on Wednesday do this, on Thursday do this, on Friday do this, on Saturday do this, and then do it all over again and do it over and over and over and over again. If we get to the point where we despise the day of small things, you know what's going to happen? 
It's not going to happen. It just won't. Uh, God has to do the work, and God's not going to do the work if his people are not willing to work. We, have, we cannot despise the day of small things. Hey, parents, think about this. Those kids that we all have, they're not just going to turn out for God because we want them to. They're not just going to turn out and be godly Christians one day and be productive members of society just because we want them to. You know what we have to do? We have to take that desire and say, because this is my desire, and I believe God put this in my heart, each and every day I'm going to be consistent. Each and every day I'm going to read the word of God to them. Each and every day I'm going to be the right example to them. Each and every day I'm going to, when they don't do it right, I'm going to discipline them. I'm going to uh, instruct them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to focus on them and try to be the greatest example I can for them. And you know what? God can do something with that. He can't do something with someone who says, I want my kids to turn out for God. But, you know, it'll, it'll just have to happen. God's got to do the work. He needs someone to work so he can do the work. You cannot despise the day of small things. That marriage that you have, you know what? It's good to want to have a good marriage. It's good to want to have a godly marriage. It's good to want to have a great marriage that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord. But it just don't happen. You have to each and every day say, you know what? It's not about me. I'm going to put my attention to my spouse. And you know what the other spouse does? They say, it's not about me. I'm going to try to uh, be what I need to be for my spouse. And you do that each and every day. And you sacrifice. And you serve. And you, you, you try to be strong for the other one. You walk with God. And you say, God, help me to be what I need to be for my spouse. Help me to, uh, to have the power of God in my life so I can be a help to my spouse. And in doing that, you can have a godly marriage. You see, we've gotten to a point in Christianity where we think just because we have a desire, it's going to turn out. And it's going to happen. And God says here, and he gives us a reminder, who hath despised the day of small things? It's hard to get excited about the day of small things. It's hard to get excited when someone says, hey, you go to pastor and you ask for counsel. And he says, all right, I'll help you. I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to get up every day, read your Bible, and then you need to pray. And then you need to do this. You need to be in the house of the Lord every time we're having services. That'll help you. You need to try to find an area of service for the Lord. And you need to do this and this, and he gives you practical things. And you say, man, I want, something, uh, I want something that's exciting, Pastor. Can't you give me a secret? Can't you give me a, a source of wisdom? Can't you tell me something that will get me really uh, excited and amped up about how to accomplish this? And what are you doing? You're despising the day of small things. You see, God comes to his people and says, hey, what's going on? Uh, some of you, you're so focused on you and yours that the God, God's house lays in waste. You got magnificent personal possessions and God's house is in waste. And the rest of you, he says, you're so focused on the past and saying, oh, I wish we could go back to the old days. And I wish we could go back in, uh, when, when God moved. And I wish we could go back to those good old days where God, God's power was prevalent. And God has not changed. And he said, you've got to get to the point where you say, hey, enough's enough. I see a foundation here, and it's about time I rolled up my sleeves and said, you know what, I can't do much, but I can saw a tree. I can't do much, but I can hammer a nail. I can't do much, but I can go chip some rock out of a quarry. I can't do much, but hey, I can certainly sew a veil. We've got to get to the point where we realize God is interested in the details. Statement number five, and this is the last one, we'll be done. Take care of the details 
the days of the small things, take care of the details, and the goal, the day of the big thing, will take care of itself. You see, our tendency is, wow, man, I, I, I don't think they're over here anymore, but we had the blueprints up, and you pass by it. Remember when they first set those up? We're like, whoo, man, yeah. We're going to have some nice buildings around here. Brick buildings, man, in Florida, brick buildings. And uh, we're going to have a nice new church auditorium. And then we're going to have a multi-purpose building. And then we're going to have a gymnasium. And then we're going to have a dormitory. And then we're going to have this for the college and that. And a missions building and a publications building. And, oh, we got excited, didn't we? That was exciting. But, you know what? Obviously, just like God's people in Zechariah's day, setbacks happen. Things out of your control happen. Uh, different things you weren't expecting happen. Does that mean that the, the, the goal, does that mean that the vision, does that mean that the plans are just non-existent? Does that mean that, well, God must not be in this? Is that what that means? No. I think it means God saying to us, hey, you focus on the day of small things. Don't despise the day of small things. And one of these days, like he said to uh, uh, Zechariah, he said one of these days, they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. Hey, we got to focus on what God's given us to do. We got to focus on what's important. And if God has given you something, it is important. We got to learn to focus on that and do what we're supposed to do. And God will do what he's supposed to do. Too many Christians, too many people are worried about the goal. They're like, how's that going to happen? And meanwhile, there's a project here that could be done. And they're like, When's that going to happen? Hey, pa hey, pastor, when are we going to get this? I know you said we were going to get into a building project. When's this going to happen? And meanwhile, there's this going on, and there's this going on, and there's this going on, and we're so busy looking out to the distance, and God's like, What's, what do you want me to do? We cannot despise the day of small things. Hey, friend, think about it. Men, think about your marriage. When's the last time you... I don't know, took your wife out to eat just randomly, <laughs> you know? When's the last time you put some effort into it? Think about when you were dating. The last time you put some effort into it, you arranged the babysitter, and you arranged for this and this, and you surprised her. You see, we all, you, you want a happy marriage, you want a good marriage, you want a godly marriage, but hey, it's gonna take some effort. It's gonna take some work. It's gonna take some uh, not, uh, not despising the day of small things. Hey, kids, you wanna be an adult one day, and you want your parents to treat you like an adult, but you'll turn around and despise when they tell you what to do. You'll roll your eyes. You'll, uh, you'll do this. You'll do that. Uh, you'll be disrespectful. What, what, what do you want? I mean, do you want to be treated like a kid or do you want to be treated like an adult? You see, you want the day of big things, but you despise the day of small things. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we, we got a church here, and we all want these big things that, for God to do with our church. But then we despise the day of small things. You see, we've got to understand here today. We've got to understand here tonight. Take care of the details. Take care of the days of small things. And the goal, the day of a big thing, will take care of itself. You see, God's people, it's unfortunate. And I'm thankful. God, God's, a God's a gracious God. God's a merciful God. God's a God who, though we fail him every day, and we feel like the biggest failures on earth, we feel like the biggest, sometimes, losers on earth, God says, hey, 
You know what? A just man falleth seven times. A just man, he finds himself despising the day of small things. But you know what he does? He reads God's word and God says, hey, who hath despised the day of small things? Friend, it's really not hard. It's really not a secret. What we have to do is just, hey, if God's given us something to do, it's important. And if it's important, which it is, it deserves our attention, our dedication. And as we focus on what God's given us to do, and as we focus on what God has put in our path, God says, I'll take care of the big. I'll take care of the end result. I'll take care of what you really desire. But it starts with not despising the day of small things. Long before there can be a day of a big thing, there have to be days of small things. Don't despise the day of small things. The glory of all things is made up by the grind of small things. Heavenly Father, thank